Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his teaching, Let Your Light Shine. All right, praise the Lord, everybody. I want to talk to you this morning about the importance of letting your light shine when we live in a world that is dominated by darkness. Especially in light of the harvest of souls that is upon us, the great revival that is upon us, and our responsibility as a church and as individual believers to do our part to bring in that harvest. Now, I'm well aware that revival seems to be springing forth in other parts of the country like California, but it doesn't seem to be doing much here in Wilmington yet. Yet. But lately, in spite of the darkness that I see, in spite of what I hear, in spite of what I read, I've begun to sense in my spirit that there's a special grace, a special anointing on the body of Christ in this season that's going to make our lights shine brighter than they ever have before. And it's going to make it easier to get people saved and brought into the kingdom of God. And I don't think that increase in the light is going to be limited to a particular area of our country or a particular area of the world. So let me help you in my thought progression along these lines. How do we go from seeing the darkness only to seeing the light that is breaking through that darkness? How do we change our expectation of defeat to an expectation of absolute, total victory? If you just look at the world around us and the culture of our day, it can be pretty overwhelming. I mean, it feels like revival is a million miles away. But we're not led by our feelings. We're led by faith. It seems like the devil and his crowd are winning and the kingdom of God has been losing ground every day. But there are signs of a divine pushback already underway. Amen. The remnant is rising together with the grassroots of America and saying enough is enough. So let's talk for a moment about the world in which we live. Actually, the world we live in today is not that much different from the world of Jesus' day or the world of the Apostle Paul over 1,900 years ago, culturally speaking, that is. Let's read from Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 32 to get a picture of what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Romans chapter 1, 16 to 32. Paul says to the Roman Christians, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now let me just unpack this for a minute here because it's a very, very powerful verse. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ, for it is The power of God. I want you to see that power is not just an attribute of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says 
It is the gospel. It is the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That word there, salvation, is the Greek word soterio. It means saved, healed, delivered, made whole. Nothing missing, nothing broken, amen. It means salvation in the most complete sense of the word. So put all that together and it reads like this in paraphrase form. For I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ, for it is the explosive power of God resulting in salvation, people being saved, filled, healed, delivered, made whole, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, if you read the preceding verses in, in this chapter, you find that Paul tells the Romans that whether it's accepted or rejected, whether in regions of light or in regions of darkness, he is not ashamed to preach the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he makes the point that the gospel not only imparts righteousness to those who are born again, but it also teaches us how to live a life of faith once we are saved. Faith becomes a lifestyle, not something we exercise to get saved and then we leave faith behind. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, the Greek word here translated as suppress actually means to hold something down vigorously. Or maybe a good picture is to put something in a box and not let it out. In this case, it's talking about to hold down or suppress the truth of the existence of God, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are men who suppress, and women, who suppress the truth of the existence of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they push it down to the recesses of their soul and they don't let it spring forth and dominate their thinking so that they can see the light. So the veil can be lifted and their blind eyes can see. Verse 19. Why do they do this? Why do they push it down into the recess of their souls? Verse 19 says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. In other words, mankind has been given an innate knowledge deep within our soul that God exists and that His Word is true. It's in there if you'll only let it out. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We see here that this innate knowledge is supported by abundant evidence 
of creation that is all around us. I think about two things when I read this verse. I think about a newborn baby. Look at a baby that's only minutes old and count ten fingers and ten toes and the little toenails and the little fingernails and the little features and you see that, oh, somehow this baby looks like the father, but oh, wait a minute, from this angle, this one looks like the mama, but then again, he looks like a melt of both of them. I can't look at a newborn baby and believe that it all happened by chance. It drives me to the knowledge that there is a God, there is a creator who could do something as marvelous as this. The other thing I think about is the stars and the galaxies because I am a space nut. Ever since I could read, I've been a space nut. I look at the stars in a starlit night and I think about the fact that I can only see six to 8,000 on any given night because of light pollution. But because of what I've read, I know that we can see 100 billion times 100 billion stars in the visible universe with the aid of technology. And we can actually count up how many stars there are in the visible universe, never mind how many might be out there where we can't see at this point, or we don't have the technology to reach out that far. But right now, there is a bubble all around us that they call the visible universe. It extends in every direction 14 billion light years. Now, that's not a time dimension. That is a length. That is a dimension of space. That's how far out it is, 14 billion light years in all directions, we live in a bubble with a radius that is 14 billion light years long. And in that bubble, as I said before, we can count 100 billion galaxies with an average of 100 billion stars in every galaxy. So if you want to know the total number of stars in that bubble, you take 100 billion times 100 billion and you get a number 10 to the 22nd power. That is a huge number. That is one with 22 zeros behind it. I don't even know what you call that. I can't even describe that. Thousands, millions, billions, trillions, zillions, quazillions. There is a name for it. I looked it up one time, but it's not something we use in everyday speech. But how can anybody with a modicum of intelligence look at the universe, the stars and the galaxies, and say, this all happened just by chance? No, that innate knowledge on the inside of man says, I put those stars there to let you know that I'm alive. I'm not only alive, I'm in you. All you have to do is respond. All you have to do is respond to the light that I placed on the inside of you. Respond to the knowledge that I placed on the inside of you that there is a God. I made you, I care for you, and I got a plan for your life. Amen. Glory to God. I did not plan on spending that much time talking about that, but I had fun doing it.
But the scripture says, because of all this, because of this innate knowledge, because there is a spark of the divine on the inside of every man and woman, they will be without excuse when it comes to the day of judgment. The Lord will ask questions like this. Did you examine the evidence of creation? Did you listen to the voice on the inside telling you that I made you, that you belong to me? And if they don't answer correctly, that's not good. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You know, there's two places in the scripture where it says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1. Double emphasis. And I believe that so-called atheists are fools for two reasons. Number one, they say there is no God, but already know on the inside that there is. Number two, they say there is no God, but creation's evidence already says that there is. Verse 23 says, They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You know, unbelievers either dismiss the notion of God altogether or sooner or later, they make Him what they want Him to be. They build idols that can't hear, see, or speak, knowing that they can't really speak into their lives or tell them how to live their lives. You know, in this day and age, we may not worship idols to the degree that they did, but there are plenty of things that become idols in our lives if they take first place over the Lord and our relationship with Him. Verse 24 says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature. That word there also means creation. Who worshipped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, 2 Thessalonians 2.1 says, God sends strong delusions to those who refuse to acknowledge the truth of God and cause them to believe a lie instead. Notice in verse 25 that they worship the creation more than the creator. When I read this verse, I think about the radical animal rights activist who cares more about the baby whales than they do about the baby humans who were created in the image and likeness of God. Don't get me wrong. The Bible says that one of the marks of a righteous man or a righteous woman is how well they take care of their animals. I'm an animal lover. And I believe how well we as masters of the earth steward the animals given to us in this world. Remember, we were given dominion over the entire animal kingdom. These days, there are people who will mourn over baby seals 
kill for their fur, which I abhor, by the way, but they won't shed a single tear for the 60 million babies killed in the womb in America, mostly for the sake of convenience. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, even their women. That word there means females exchange the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, that word there actually means males, leaving the natural use of the woman or the female, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So in Paul's day, there was all kind of gender confusion and perversion of the natural order of men and women. And sad to say, It's even more so in our day. But let me set the record straight if it's not already obvious to those that are listening to my voice. Now, I don't have this on my slides, but I'll read it to you. Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. As far as I'm concerned, that settles it. I believe the word of the Lord. Verse 21. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Whoa. Right here in the middle of all these evil things, you find disobedient to parents. It kind of underscores our responsibility as parents to teach our children obedience. So they come to the knowledge of the truth and don't participate in these kind of things When they get older, amen. Verse 31. Undiscerning. That word there means having no knowledge. We would say today being clueless. Now that's certainly true today of all these ridiculous belief systems that are springing up all around us. And most of the time it's because the people who come up with these ideas, they lack knowledge. They haven't even got basic knowledge common sense 62 genders for example came out of a university think tank somebody paid them money to come up with that we believers hear something like that and we think well that's pure foolishness that's the craziest thing I've ever heard but to them it is enlightened It is nuanced. It is sophisticated. It is progressive. It's poppycock. It's balderdash. Those are real words. Look them up later. You know, Time Magazine decades ago, I remember this issue. They put out an issue that was groundbreaking in their view. The cover stated boldly in big letters, with a man and a woman standing behind saying, men and women really are different. 
I thought, what a revelation. How long did it take you to come to that? Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. We do it, and we're glad that you're doing it. Like I said before we started reading this passage, if you look at the world around us without God's perspective, it will discourage you and it can overwhelm you. But consider this historical fact. Even though the early church was surrounded by a culture as decadent as what we just read, led by the Roman Empire, a brutal totalitarian regime, Just a little over 200 years later, from the period of this writing, the entire Roman Empire bowed its knee under Emperor Constantine to the Christian faith. The early church succeeded in changing the culture of the world of their day because they were not afraid to preach a gospel of power, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they shined the light of Christ brightly to all those that they encountered. Amen. Now, that's a precedent worth repeating in our day. The gospel, if it's preached with boldness, will have an effect on the culture. And all the seven mountains of social influence that they talk about, technology, education, the church, uh, sports and entertainment, etc., etc., all those regimes can be affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ and by people who are strong believers going into those mountains and assuming positions of influence. We can change the culture by preaching and we can change the culture by our presence, by the light of God in us shining around on everybody around us. Amen. So the parallel is this. There is hope for the world of today in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I said before, I believe people are more inclined to listen than they have been for a very long time because the light of God's glory is shining through the remnant of the church more brightly than it ever has before. Second Corinthians 4.1. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul's talking about the ministry of reconciliation, which he mentions later in chapter 5. It's a ministry that we've all been given. You don't have to be a preacher. You just have to be a believer. You just have to let your light shine. By preaching the gospel to your world, your circle of influence, you let people know that the wall between God and man has been torn down. That's what it means to reconcile God and man. To let them know that Jesus paid the price and he tore down the wall of sin that was between you and God. God's not mad at you anymore. Your sins have been forgiven. You are totally accepted by him because of what Jesus did. He's brought the two irreconcilable partners together. And now they are one because of what Jesus did. Amen. Then he says something about 
we've received mercy and we do not lose heart. I believe what he's referring to is this, as we have received mercy when we believe the gospel, those who hear our preaching, those who see our light will receive mercy as well. So we don't need to lose heart because revival is coming and awakening is upon us. 2 Corinthians 4, skip on down to verse 3, and we'll read through verse 6. It says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Notice in these verses that the God of this age, that is Satan, he's the one who puts a veil over and blinds the eyes of those who have not believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that's a mouthful, and it kind of takes a real careful reading of verse 5 and 6 together to understand what Paul is saying, but I've done all the work for you. This is what he's saying. Paul is saying that when we preach the gospel to unbelievers, we are not exalting ourselves. We're exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they see Jesus in us, the light of God's glory shines through us into them, causing the veil to be lifted and their blind eyes to see. That's what he's saying there. And to give us some kind of idea of the power and the glory of that light, he says in verse 6 that it's the same light that God shined on planet earth in Genesis when darkness covered the face of the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. You've all heard it before, but probably maybe not from the angle I'm coming from. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 1 says God created the heavens and the earth, and there are other scriptures that say when God creates something, He makes it beautiful, He makes it whole, and He makes it in perfect order. But the language here in verse 2 The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. This language paints a picture of complete and utter chaos and gross darkness covering the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God hovering and poised to take action. That has led some people to believe in something called the gap theory. And I'm one of those people, by the way. But I don't have time to go there. So if you're interested, you can go to our YouTube channel, look up my video on the gap theory, and you can feast on it. It's got about 11,000 views. It seems to be the most popular of all the videos that I've put out. But I want you to concentrate on verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. When God shined his light on the darkness and the chaos, Darkness became light, and chaos became order. And the world that we now live in was formed and made beautiful and was inhabited by man and all the animals that he had created. Amen. 
All right, let's see what else we can learn about this great light that shined on the earth back in the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. That's talking about Jesus, who was God's agent of creation. Verse 4 says, in Him, that is in Jesus, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's a little blind there, so let me tell you what that actually means. That phrase here, the darkness did not comprehend it, actually is better translated, the darkness was not able to overcome it. When the light shined, the darkness was not able to overcome the light. Amen. So why is that significant? Well, it's significant because it tells us that the light that shines out of us in this day and age is the same light that God shined on the darkness back in the beginning with the same glory and the same power. Amen. And the darkness was not able to overcome that light. It's the same light that brought order out of chaos when our current world was about to be formed. That means if chaos and darkness was not able to overcome the light of God back then, then chaos and darkness are not able to overcome the light that is shining out of believers like you and me today. In this day and age. Amen. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Pay special attention to verse 9 here. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now, there's something I want you to see here in verse 9. I think it's awesome. Verse 9 tells us that the light of Christ, the same light that God shined on planet Earth in the beginning, has shined on the hearts of every man and woman who has ever come into the world. That means there's a spark of the divine in every person that has ever lived on the planet. And just like we learned in Romans chapter 1, there is this innate knowledge of God that has been placed in the hearts of every human being. It's a knowledge that He exists. It's a little tiny spark of light in there that tells you that He exists. And all you have to do as a human being is respond to it. Turn to Christ and say yes. And we as believers going out there in our circle of influence where there's lots of unsaved people, all we got to do to awaken that light in their hearts is to shine our lights on the heart of unbelievers. And then the veil comes off and the blind eyes see. And it's easy for them to turn to Jesus. Is everybody following me? So let me wrap it up by saying this. Even though the darkness looks overwhelming at this moment in our nation, I believe that the light of God's glory is shining brighter than ever before through the faithful remnant of the church. Making it easier than ever before 
for unbelievers to receive the gospel and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, I believe some people are so close. They're just one encouraging word, as I've already said, one Bible verse, one gift of the Spirit, one healing away from saying yes to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, others watered, but God gave the increase. So you don't know where your potential unbeliever is in that process. Whether you plant the seed or you give it life, you give it life-giving water, you, you watch it bear fruit, regardless of where you are in that process, you have a part to play. So you need to be ready and you need to shine your light. Amen. Someone else might have planted the seed, and all you have to do is say, well, you know what? It's so easy. It's in there. You, you can quote the verse to me, so why don't you just pray with me right now? How about somebody comes to you, they're sick. I believe Jesus Christ heals today, same today, yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to lay hands on you that you'll be healed. And then you're going to feel the power of God. You're going to want to give your life to Jesus. I'll share a real quick testimony, and then I'll wrap this up. When I was a flight instructor in Corpus Christi, the T-34, it was a wonderful airplane, a whole lot of fun to fly. It was tandem seat. The instructor sat in the back. Student sat in the front. I had a student uh, that uh, was, I was kind of fond of him, and he was kind of fond of me. He was, just, he was just a great guy. You know, he was a young man of color, and back in those days in the 80s, there weren't that many of those coming into the program, and I was eager to see him do well. Uh, my responsibility was to take him 12 flights from his first flight in a military aircraft, 12 flights later, to prep him for a solo. He would go 12 flights with me, then he would get a check ride from uh, an evaluator, and then he would solo, and he would go on with his training. So we got to flight number seven. And listen, this guy was a really good pilot. He had good hands, as we say in the business, but he kept getting sick every flight. I mean, we would level off after our initial climb to altitude. We would level off, and then he'd say, sir, could you take the airplane? I said, I got the airplane. And then I could see him pull out the sick bags and bleh, bleh, you know. One time he filled them all up, and he had to do the rest in his helmet bag. Not a pretty picture. So the rules back then were, were such that if your student was still having motion sickness, flight sickness, at flight number seven, you had to turn him into the flight surgeon, which usually meant a one-way ticket home out of the program. And I was just like, Lord, no. So on flight seven, sure enough, he got sicker than a dog. And I came back, and I put him in the debrief room, and I said, uh, I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Really what I meant was I got to go pray. So I went to the bathroom, and I prayed. And I said, Lord, this guy is going to make a fine pilot. I refuse to let this sickness stop him in his tracks. I know he can complete this program. What do you want me to do? He said, pray for him. I said, okay, great. So go back to the debriefing room, close the door behind me, and I said, listen, I know this may sound strange to you, but I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he heals today just like he did 2,000 years ago. Can I pray for you? He said, well... I don't really believe in God, but you can pray for me. Guess what I did? 
I put my hand on his shoulder and I cursed that sickness. I cursed that nausea. I cursed it in the name of Jesus at the root, at the source of the seed. In Jesus' name. I didn't feel a thing. He didn't feel a thing. He said, well, you know, even though I don't believe in God, I appreciate you being willing to pray for me. So I said, all right, I'll see you tomorrow for flight number eight. And uh, we'll make a determination at that point. So next morning we flew together. We briefed. We got in the airplane, cranked it up. He flew the entire flight. Never got sick. Didn't even feel nausea one time during the flight. Same for flight 9, 10, 11, 12. He had his check ride. He soloed. He went on through the program, and he graduated from pilot training. And then last I heard, he started going to church at a local Baptist church. Amen. You see what I'm talking about? I planted the seed. Somebody else evidently watered, and they saw the increase when he started going to church. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory to God. All right, so let me wrap it up with a scripture that kind of sums up what I'm trying to get across to you this morning. This is going to be a series, by the way. We'll have part two next week. Matthew 5, 16. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's message, Let Your Light Shine. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page, at Faith Life Wilmington.